0: All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of Return. In our last episode, we uh, started talking about some of the different viewpoints and uh, just terms, definitions of the end times. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and go there first before you listen to this one. But in this one, we want to continue on. So we uh, already talked about amillennialism, and the goal is to talk about post-millennialism and also pre-millennialism in this one. So let's jump right in. Okay, you guys, so picking up right where we left off in the last episode, uh, we want to jump to another viewpoint of the end time, specifically focusing on that millennial kingdom, which again is the thousand year reign that we see in revelation 20, uh, of Christ on the earth. And, um, to jump just right into the post-millennial view, uh, post-millennialists believe that the millennium is an era. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be 1000 years but it's an era which Christ will reign on the earth, but not from a literal or earthly throne, but it's actually just through the the gradual increase of the gospel, uh, and its power to change lives. So, uh, basically this viewpoint holds to that. There's going to be a gradual Christianization, Christianization (laughs) of the world and Christ will return, uh, after the whole earth has been Christianized and will usher the church into the eternal state after judging the wicked. So, uh, the reason why it's called postmillennialism is because by its view, Jesus is going to return after the millennium. So basically, I mean, kind of to re re say it in a different way, uh, the, this viewpoint would kind of hold to the fact that Again, we're we're basically in the millennial kingdom now, uh, and the earth is just going to be Christianized, so the gospel of the kingdom is going to be spread in all the earth, and then the end will come, that verse that we talk about in Matthew 24, 14. This viewpoint would basically hold to the fact that, I mean, if we were going to give an example from church his- history, uh, Constantine became emperor, became christian and then kind of converted the whole uh world at that time to become christians but i i guess the difference of this viewpoint is that the conversion would be more authentic for all the earth and so um i mean you would kind of hear this theology a lot in in teachings about the seven mountains sphere you know uh, I grew up listening to a homeschool curriculum, um, which I really enjoyed because I, I think it reaches for awesome things. But basically, it was you know the goal was to take over a you know mountain of society or a sphere of society by by conquering it uh, for Christ and and having the gospel infiltrate in in each of those areas and. I would say that's probably the real strong point of this yeah. view. Is similar to the all millennial view. It's very much a kingdom now um, viewpoint. So it's very much about we have authority in Christ. The, the power of the gospel is is strong enough to redeem and and heal society. But the main weak point, and I'm, and then I'm gonna hand it over to you to jump in, is just the fact that it basically has a view that we are able to accomplish all of this without Christ. <laughs> I mean...
1: Literal Christ coming on the earth.
0: Yeah, without Jesus physically coming to rule and reign on the
1: earth. So, again, one of the strengths of this position, which we love, again, we have great friends that hold all of these positions. And we we have to be fair and say the beauty of of, of the of the body of christ they are and, and the truth that they hold and the anointing that the lord has given them that doesn't make that the whole theology is wrong and that doesn't mean that our whole theology is right either but uh one of the main strengths of this perspective is that what you're saying is the the energy the revelation the, the anointing to go and touch every sphere of society that is godly that is anointed that is amazing the only, well, the, the, the con on that or the weakness is to believe, like you said, that we can Christianize the world without Jesus coming back. And, and it goes a little bit deeper because it, at the end, the, uh, many of them believe, I'm not saying everyone, but many of them believe that um, we're not appointed to suffer. That, and it skips the plan of God that is very evident that the church will have to suffer some tribulation. And it's going to be part of the purification of the church. Not of our sins. That, that comes with the atonement of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about purification of character. And like all the apostles talk about tribulation, that we receive the kingdom through a lot of tribulation, a lot of suffering. It is given to us to suffer with Christ. Paul talked about it and Peter talked about it and Jesus talked about it. But that tends to be symbolical and you know and so it's 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 mostly like um, that denial of suffering and the great tribulation because we are from victory to victory. So they take that as we will never suffer and another weakness of that is that when we see that the great tribulation starts and many things start happening, the Antichrist gets manifested on the earth. If you hold this position, you're going to be offended. You're going to be offended at God because you're going to say, I thought that we were going to conquer the earth. What happened with this leader? What I thought that you were going to rapture us before and, and all of these things. And uh, because it denies the systematic suffering that is going to happen in most of the earth in the last three and a half years
0: hmm yeah um i think too the way that this viewpoint really works itself out in in just day-to-day life is that they believe that the millennium will come through christian preaching and teaching and the result of that will be more godly a more peaceful and more prosperous world so basically it's like evil will slowly be eliminated and, and godliness will slowly increase. And when we finally reach, you know, 100% of no evil and 100% of all righteousness, then Jesus will come. Um, And I'll just say like some things, because when I, I, I genuinely do try to think through these and just, you know, think, okay, how would this how does this apply or how could this apply to the way that I would live or, or whatever or, or what implications would this have? And something that I do think about is, well, yes, I wholly and wholeheartedly believe that we as believers should be salt and light as, you know, the Bible commands us to be that no matter what our job is uh, in the church or outside of the church, and I think obviously the strength of this viewpoint is for the 99% of believers that have marketplace jobs, this is really about letting your light shine. And and I love that. Um, but I do find the difficulty of it related specifically to the subject of justice because we... Need a just judge, and I just think about all of the corruption in the earth, all of the corruption and the levels of of just yeah. I mean, within government, but even within the family unit, the unit uh, things that are just unjust on so many different levels and layers. And I think. There can only be one person capable of administrating justice in perfect wisdom, with with perfect righteousness, and perfect precision, and that's Jesus. It has to be someone who is all-knowing and all-powerful to bring justice to the earth in such a way that in itself is just, meaning that he... God is not going to even overdo or exaggerate his justice if I can say it like that but he is going to give to each person according to the measure of what we deserve and I just think there we as humans are completely incapable of doing that. And so when I think of the governments of the earth, when I think about, you know, the oppression of people in every country all all over the earth, but I mean just obvious ones, Syria, Venezuela, I mean, Mexico, I think of the, uh, not the corruption, but the, just the waywardness of what's happening in Canada right now in the government, all of that demands a just judge. And, and I just think it's a bit arrogant to assume that we would have the ability to usher in this reign of Christ and then say, Hey, Jesus, you know, we have everything ready for you. Now you can come back. And I know that's not the way that post-millennialists would obviously s- say it. Um, but in some ways, it is it is kind of the fullness. If you were to take their beliefs you know, to, to their extreme, that's kind of the way that it would be enacted. And so um, that's just kind of an issue that I hold with it. I think we need a just judge uh, yeah. to rule the earth. So okay, moving into uh, the pre-millennial view. So there, there's two different aspects of the pre-millennial view that I want to talk about. There's historic premillennialism, and then there's dispensation pre-premillennialism. And um, just to start, premillennialism. Uh, is the view that the second coming of Christ is going to happen before the millennial kingdom? So, before Jesus has to come back to the earth, before he starts ruling and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. Yeah. So, premillennialists take a mostly literal approach to the things uh, listed in the Bible. They expect a period of one, a, a literal one thousand year duration, which Jesus will reign on the earth with the saints. And then after that uh, millennial kingdom, there's going to be the establishment of the eternal new heavens and new earth. And the millennial reign will be characterized by international peace and justice resulting from the rule of Christ over, this is a big point, saved and unsaved alike. So yes, this point of view does believe that there would be unsaved people on the earth um, during Jesus' rule and reign. And maybe that's a bigger topic for another day.
1: I mean, this whole topic is so massive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, Satan would be released uh, from the pit that he is bound in for a brief period of of time. And he would basically try to deceive the nations one more time before the final judgment. And so uh, this is is the viewpoint that we hold to, and we will probably expand on it and talk more about it. But I wanna list that there's two very distinct positions within the premillennial view. And again, that's historic premillennialism and dispensation, dispensational premillennialism, or it's sometimes simply just called dispensationalism. And I think let's talk about dispensationalism first, because um, then we'll get to the historic view after that. So dispensationalism, uh, basically I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it. You've heard of it, but it's, uh, a theological system that teaches that, uh, biblical history is understood best, uh, by some successive administrations of God's dealings with mankind or otherwise known as dispensations there's been different dispensations throughout history and uh of how god has related to his people
1: which is funny that there's like six or seven and they're all made up because the bible never talks about this is the dispensation like there's not like a clear verse in the bible that talks about this
0: yeah i we do see the word dispensation talked about i mean I, ephesians talks about it but for the most part these are understood as you can understand them better obviously if you're living in the time period that we're living in because if you were living in the time period of moses or abraham or even jesus you wouldn't see the full scope of these time periods. And so, um, I'll just list them and you'll kind of understand probably a little bit better. So first there was the dispensation of innocence or freedom, which was prior to the fall in the garden. So innocence, you know, we were with God, all of that. Then there's the dispensation of conscience from Adam to Noah, uh, the dispensation of government from Noah to Abraham uh the dispensation of the patriarchal rule or or a promise which would be from abraham to moses then the mosaic law so moses to christ then the dispensation of grace which would be the current church age so present and then they do believe that there's going to be the literal earthly 1000 year millennial kingdom reign that has not come but it soon will And so each of these dispensations is said to represent a different way in which God deals with man, specifically a different testing for man. Um, Schofield was one of the, the prominent dispensationalists, and he said that these periods are marked off in Scripture by a change of God's method in dealing with mankind in respect to two specific questions, one of sin and the second of man's responsibility. So basically, each of the dispensations could be regarded as a test to man and each one ends in judgment because mankind fails in, in every dispensation. And so at the end of the day, all credit and all glory goes to God. Um, the reason why it's important to mark a difference between dispensationalism and then the view that we would hold, which is a uh, historic premillennialism is Most dispensationalists, actually, if not all dispensationalists, I believe, uh, hold to the view of the pre-trib rapture, which is something that we would not hold to. So the fundamental distinction, uh, between Israel and the church, again, it comes back to Israel is The dispensationalists would believe that there are two peoples of God with two different destinies. There's earthly Israel and then the spiritual church. And basically what happens during the pre-trib rapture is the church gets taken away and Israel has to undergo the tribulation and basically God is going to deal with Israel at that time. And ultimately Israel would be saved, but they're not included in the plan of God currently, which is the church.
1: I I will take these view... Before, i Because at least one of the two major strengths is they take the Bible literal, which that's amazing. And number two, they embrace the plans of God for Israel. But the weakness is like we embrace what God is going to do with Israel, but we're just going to be rejoicing in heaven. <laughs> while they suffer which is pretty intense right so that's that's the that's one that we we see the other one weakness is that they believe that she's going to come any moment any second the imminent return of jesus that no one knows the day of the hour therefore when you hear a thunder always wonder if you were left behind
0: right which obviously this view presents um some theological hurdles because they're, they put a difference between the rapture of the church and then the second coming of Christ. So the rapture comes uh, the rapture of the church happens at Christ's coming in the air, but then there's like this second second coming, which is like the more official second coming, which happens at the end of the seven years. So obviously there's a lot of hurdles to have to jump through to make that a clear distinction in the scripture because there's not a verse that talks about that um really quickly there's a view that the new testament church right now is kind of the parenthesis in god's plan which was not foreseen by the old testament so all of the promises that you see in the old testament didn't factor in that there is this two thousand year gap and therefore and the church and so we're in this parenthesis and then when the church is taken away, um, God is gonna continue his dealings with uh, Israel. And there's a big distinction between the between the law and grace, which brings a lot of difficulties when um, interpreting the Old Testament and also factors with how we live today. So those are some of the main distinctions, but I wanna really quickly jump to, I really wanna jump to our the viewpoint that we would hold, which is historic pre-millennialism. And essentially historic pre is, I mean, okay, this might come across a little bit cocky, but it's not. If you go Google this, you'll see uh, that scholars write this, that this is the viewpoint that the church, the early church held, which is essentially you take uh, the scripture literally. So you do believe that there's a literal thousand year reign on the earth. Again, Satan would be released at the end of that time. Uh, but the church is going to endure the tribulation with Israel. Um, Israel will receive national salvation. There are specific plans and promises from God to, uh, the Jewish people. And, uh, I would add the addendum of we, believe in a victorious church
1: that is the biggest point the biggest point that differentiates this from the dispensationalist is that we stay in the great tribulation to bear witness of the gospel to fulfill the great commission to bring israel to jealousy to shatter the power of the evil one on the earth as we suffer in the earth but we have up in heavens um as we pray, as we worship, multiplication of food, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of Joel 2, 28-32, all of these prophetic promises fulfilled in a vessel, not just the 144,000 witnesses to Israel, and we are the churches watching how everything happens. We believe as Moses was preparing the wilderness for 40 years to, re, to for the exodus, we are being prepared to not be taken up, but to endure and not to receive the wrath of God, but to release it against the Antichrist as the last day's Pharaoh and uh, and everyone that uh, receives the mark of the beast. So we're going to be like a corporate global Moses that is participating with God in releasing and binding and releasing in prayer like Matthew 16 Um, um all the power of God. Yeah. So I, I would say that's a massive thing that instead of giving you fear, it gives us confidence. And honestly, it excites me. Yeah, it makes sense for me to get ready because if I'm gonna be raptured at any moment, what what am I preparing for? For just you know. But if I'm preparing for what the Bible said that is gonna happen, and I am I become the vessel of that then it makes sense that we prepare.
0: Yeah. In in closing, I'll just say I I think one of the biggest strengths of this viewpoint is that you can take the Bible at face value. You can take the book of Revelation and read it literally. So 10 days really means 10 days. 144,000 really means 144,000. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of loops that you have to jump through um Yes, there is a lot. I mean, it requires faith, I guess. I don't know if faith would be the right word, but um, it. we do believe that there has to be a rebuilding of a temple before Jesus comes back because it says that the man of lawlessness is going to stand up in the temple of God and proclaim himself as God. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that would be... Basically, we do believe that there are things that still need to take place before Jesus would come back, but we read the book of revelation literally we take the promises of god um, to israel and in the old testament and of restoration we take those literally and i guess to be fair also i would say to throw in probably some weaknesses of this view is there is a lot of um change in mindset that i think comes when specifically when you look at ezekiel's temple in what is it, Ezekiel forty to forty six, I believe forty eight. Forty eight. Um, just because that would be a millennial temple, and uh, there are sacrifices that happen in there, so there's kind of some implications to that, which um, require a lot of studying. I mentioned that we do see that there are unsaved people in the millennial kingdom during Jesus's reign. And, uh, again, that's a hurdle for some people, but we, I'm pretty confident of the Bible verses that we see in the scripture that talk about that and back it up, but just trying to be fair and, and give some weak points to the view as well. Definitely it requires study. It requires knowing the Bible. It requires even being familiar and more than familiar with the promises of God related to Israel and the need to stand with her and, and why uh, why we would believe that we are going to be on the yeah. church during the tribulation?
1: Personally, I wouldn't see that as a as a weakness. If I don't understand it, I don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, if it's he true. says that he's going to come and rebuild a fourth temple because it's going to be a fourth temple, um, and it's massive, and there's going to be sacrifices, I'm just going to say for eight chapters of the Bible that I don't get at all. I'm going to keep trying to get them, but I'm going to just accept it. Yeah. You said when you come, you'll do that. Oh, you will explain to me in person if I don't get it, but that, that is not going to, I don't see it as a weakness unless you have I was have just to saying there's good
0: arguments there. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That I haven't heard of. <laughs> because, if, I mean, if you just say, okay, Jesus, you're literally going to rebuild a temple. You created the earth out of nothing. I don't see any problem with that. And sacrifices, well, maybe you just want to keep celebrating and re- remembering. And maybe it has to do with the first coming of the Father and some cleansing and preparation for His presence. I don't know.
0: Yeah, those are the arguments that yeah. people make. Is You can't have blood sacrifice for more than just remembrance. I mean, the all-millennial view, that was the argument that um, the guy made. Is He He said it very strongly. said, I think that's a stench in the nostrils of God to say that there would still be a need for sacrifices in the millennial temple anyways we are getting off into a big rabbit trail i just wanted to say that there are arguments obviously against that and so it requires more digging into the word of God more study obviously because even us presenting these different viewpoints and then giving obviously our our viewpoint and opinion doesn't mean that we have it all down pat that's why we're so grateful for the different um, views that are represented because at the end of the day, if you take it with humility and with a desire to go deeper in the word of God, then that's what you're going to do. You're going to jump in and, and study and and pray and fast and, and get God's heart for what is listed in scripture.
1: So okay. You... What? Oh, you were you going to close it? Yeah. I was going to close it too. <laughs>
0: okay. Be I my guest. I never guess. get to. I
1: never get to. <laughs> okay guys well this is what <laughs> this was a what a great uh, episode on the podcast your favorite podcast return this is your host benji Nunez with gabriel uh, what about that <laughs> i'm not the host it's amazing okay so i think we'll see you next week <laughs> what do you say to close in the next episode okay you close it bye